Love the flexibility of working in all sorts of places? Well, working on the go seamlessly requires a strong network like T-Mobile. We have America's largest 5G network, so whether you're on a video call at the park or uploading large files at a coffee shop, we have the 5G speed you need. Whatever takes you on the go, T-Mobile's got you covered. Find out more at T-Mobile.com slash network today. Coverage not available in some areas. See 5G device coverage and access details at T-Mobile.com. And now, it's time for Inside Conan, an important Hollywood podcast. Hello, and welcome back to Inside Conan. I'm Mike Sweeney, a writer at The Conan Show, and I'm joined by Jesse Gaskell. Yes, also a writer at The Conan Show. We've got so much good stuff to talk to you about today. Yes, we have a great guest, and uh, we all got a bit carried away. I was really fanning out over this one, because I love him. Louis Anderson. Louis Anderson's hilarious. Uh, you, you probably know him most recently from Baskets. He's in the latest season of Search Party. Yeah, I know. He actually didn't I, mention that in the interview. No, so we're mentioning it now. He's, He's very so, humble. too modest. I'm gobbling down Search Party like candy. I love that show. I love it too. And he's very funny in it. Yeah, that show has the perfect intersection for me of like sort of true crime and comedy. Yes. They don't go for the laugh every single No, they moment. don't. It's dark. Yeah, it is. No, the tone yeah, is really, it's love. cool. It's really different. Yeah, yeah. And I can't wait for all of you to hear Louie. We talked to him about a lot of stuff. He was at his home in Vegas. And here's Louie. I'm so happy to be here. Let's We're so do it. We're so happy you I, could be my here. My hair is a doll hair now. I've got doll hair, if you know anything about dolls. <laughs> my mom used to collect dolls. And their hair, as they got older, would tuft up. <laughs> I've got doll teeth, if you notice. It's hard to see. You, but you do have that porcelain skin, too. <laughs> Wait, your mother collected dolls? She was an antique collector. Okay. She collected everything. Yeah. She loved, look at this doll, Louie. Old dolls. Isn't that gorgeous, Louie? I have a whole bit about it in my special big underwear on the CW. Wow, we already worked a plug-in. Yeah, that was fast. But I mean, it's a, <laughs> it's the first time I did the doll bit, which is about where I stayed at somebody's house. Yeah. And I they put me in the doll room. Uh, oh, no. There were 100 dolls in there. You counted oh, look, were you oh, a, that looked just like me. <laughs> that must have been comforting. So, Louis, your late night debut, you did stand up on Johnny Carson in 1984. Uh, November 20th, 1984. Oh, wow. You remember. That. Everybody remembers their first, <laughs> their first late night thing. I think if you're a stand up, I think you do. You just, it was a hard thing for me to get. I didn't, that didn't come easy for me. Had you How did you get to it? LA already or? Yeah, I was living here. I auditioned for two years. It's kind of a wow. weird story, but I'll tell it to you. So the guy who booked it didn't think he said, kept saying to me, you're not Carson material, which infuriated right. me. I just kept auditioning. And then the Letterman people saw me uh -huh. when I was somewhere and they booked me. And then when oh. they booked me the next day, the Tonight Show called and said, hey, we want you on. Uh. And... It's like I, dating. It really is. It's worse, it's worse <laughs> than dating, though, because I love both people. Of course, David Letterman, I love. So I did it, and uh, you know, the Letterman people didn't have me on then uh, for two or three years. 
two years, I think. And I apologize. I said, David, you know, even you would have made that decision when the Tonight Show was your number one thing in your life. Right. And so he saw that and then he had me on, you know, but I always thought that was all, I guess, destiny. Don't you think something like that's destiny when you want something for that long? When you watch The Tonight Show with your dad, who was a musician who watched Doc Severinsen. Mm -hmm. And so when you sat in that, for me, that house in the projects on Hazelwood and thought you're going to be on that show someday, maybe. Mm -hmm. And then you got on it. You know, you knew the curtain you were going to stand behind. You were so familiar with the show. (laughs) You knew what that curtain looked like. And that was a huge night for me. I went from earlier that week, I had applied at the AMPM mini market for a job because I couldn't couldn't pay my rent. So the day I got the Tonight Show, I also got the call from the mini market. (laughs) They said, we heard about the the Tonight Show. (laughs) No, yeah, yeah. (laughs) We heard about the Letterman. Yeah, so we never (laughs) want to hear from you again. They all came crawling. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> and uh, that's a really good, yeah. And I said, listen, I, I appreciate it, but I'm doing the Tonight Show tonight. He goes, yeah, right. And uh, <laughs> then. They all say I'm that. not giving you off. Yeah. <laughs> and then the next day he called me and said, you were great. If you ever want a job, you just come and see me. And oh, I, nice. Good, good <laughs> that's a great fallback you. position. Yeah. Good luck with your career. <laughs> Stop by for a two for one burger anytime. <laughs> Of course I did. (laughs) I love you mentioning that curtain. When you were finally behind the curtain, Mm -hmm. did it feel for the first time on The Tonight Show, were you relaxed about it? Like, oh, it's this curtain on the other side? Or was it all of a sudden like, oh, Jesus. Oh, God, what have I done? (laughs) No, No, I was so prepared. Right. Yeah. I had nine Tonight Shows prepared when I did The Tonight Show. I had already nine sets that I was oh, going to wow. do oh, wow. for the Tonight Show. I was very, very prepared. And I remember reaching out and touching that curtain yeah. to feel it. Yeah. Because I wanted to know, my mom would ask me, I knew that. What's that curtain? <laughs> What's made it made out of? of? Is it chintz? <laughs> is it chintz, she'd say, if you know what that is. Right. But um, everything on a television set looks expensive, but is meant to throw away. Right. Yeah. You know, it's cheap. It's, it's cheap. It has to look good. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, but I uh, was behind that curtain. I remember they call you when the the last guest finishes mm-hmm. and they go, come on, let's go. And you go down this hallway and it's really like the backstage at Conan. You walk through right. this maze. Mm-hmm. I'm back there and uh, I hear Johnny tapping actually his pencil on the desk. Uh, even though the band was blaring, I could hear that. Huh. Because his mic was live already to introduce me. Uh, and he said, a uh, kid making his national television debut, Louis Anderson. And I walked out, looked for my mark and delivered my first line and finished. And I left to go back to the dressing room. And people said, Johnny, want you back. Get back out there. Wow. And that was, I go, where, why? So I'm, <laughs> I'm fake running. <laughs> when you're fat, that's what you do. I'm running. Oh. You just move your arms. <laughs> <laughs> and and uh, I got out there. I took a bow. The crowd went crazy. I was looked over at Johnny and he got up and he, he shook my hand. And I have that picture. That's a really big thing for me. Wow. That was a, a giant moment. acknowledgement. He goes, mm-hmm. I would have had you, I had to have you sit down, he said, but we're running late. But, you know, you, you were great. And then afterwards he came by uh, my room. 
you know, he always had bodyguards, so people <laughs> didn't realize that. And he goes, great set, Louis, great set. Because people don't realize Johnny was, you know, got death threats every night. Yeah, I oh, did not. Wow. People, yeah, oh. like that movie, King of Comedy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They wanted him to play the part because he was, they tried to kidnap him once I heard. Oh, wow. I don't know if it's true, but yeah. it's a good yeah. story. And he didn't want to, I guess, reinforce that by doing that kind of thing. But they had the right people do the movie because it was a fabulous movie. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Ma! <laughs> sh- I'm sh- sorry, Liza. I heard that movie still holds up. Like people it still just saw it for up. the first time. Yeah. Yeah. They're like, oh, that movie's great. That's a beautiful movie. In fact, the Joker's very. Yeah, I've heard that. Similar. Too similar. Yeah. Similar ish. That's all. But you know, everything's an homage, isn't Mm -hmm. that? I mean, I'm out there at the Tonight Show my first time doing Jack Benny, Bob Hope, Jonathan Winters, (laughs) Richard Pryor, all these people, Jackie Vernon, all these people, you know, Marty Allen. These are all people who. I saw and said, well, this is, if they could be on it, you know, Bob Hope had a huge influence on my comedy and so did uh, Jack Benny and so did Johnny Carson, really. Uh Also, you mentioned when you were a kid watching that show, like when did you start having that dream that, hey, you know what? Someday I'm going to be on that show. I never had the dream of being on the show. I, I thought about it, you know, like in that way of like, what would I do on there? Uh, you know, right. just silly like that. <laughs> right. And then um, one time I was at a club in 1978 that they had a comedy night and they had comedians. I go, these guys are terrible, aren't they, to my friend? Yeah. And he goes, you think you're funnier? I go, I think I might be. Right. Yeah. And I uh, said, well, why don't you try it if you think you're so funny? And I said, I will. And I signed up for the next week, October 10th, 1978. Had all my friends down. My mom and dad were there. My sister and brother and uh oh wow you invited everyone for your first time wow yeah my only time that was just a dare it was just a (laughs) it wasn't good it wasn't like that didn't necessarily mean i was going to be a comedian because i tried it you know and then i felt so comfortable up there and did so good and of course because i had all my supporters there i just went oh this is uh this is cool this is good i'm gonna try this again then 42 years later, here we are. Here we are. (laughs) And then that Tonight Show, I don't mean to go on about it, but this was how significant the Tonight Show was. The next day, I was opening at the comedy store at the Dunes Hotel with, you know, Jim Carrey and Blake Clark and Mm -hmm. Harry Basil. And I think even, I don't know if Roseanne was on that show, but it was five or six of us. And then the week after, I was opening at Bally's for the Commodores. Oh, wow. And cool. I had an NBC holding deal and my whole life changed. My whole life changed. And back then you would hear, just because The Tonight Show was the 1130 show, the next day you're just recognized everywhere you go and, yeah. and millions of people would have seen you. I guess it was like two or three TV sets. Uh-huh. Something uh-huh. like that. They have all these statistics, but it was like that. And... It was a really wonderful thing. And it's one of those things where you go, that was a perfect setup. And you realize I've been working on those jokes since 1978. Right. Yeah. That so- I did in 84. Those jokes were ready right. to go. There was no way I was going to mess those jokes up. <laughs> right, right. And then I didn't add lib from Johnny's monologue. Oh, that's great. Because I said, this will really piss off the guy who, Jim McCauley, who booked me. Right. Uh, <laughs> who's a talent coordinator. Right. 
Did he say something about afterwards? He said, you you did a joke. You you can't do those. I go at work, though, didn't I? And he goes, yeah, but geez, don't ever do that <laughs> don't again. Do and every, every Tonight Show, I did a joke he didn't approve. Did he ever yeah. cop never to the fact ne- that he never the day after Letterman's never. Oh, wow. But then, you know, <laughs> could he really? No. And he didn't you know, have but to. I'm the, if you could to. cop, I'm the person to cop to. Right. Because I'm not going to beat you up about right. it. Right. 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 I'm, I'm going to forgive you. I'm going to forgive you. Yeah, of course. You know, he's no longer with us. So it's, you know, I'm not going to well, no. give him a hard time. But he didn't just do it to me. He did it to probably hundreds of comics, sure. to be honest with you. You know, those people get those jobs, you know. From his point of view, he's probably was, you know, nervous about someone going on and in any way, you know, displeasing Johnny Carson. So he might have been second guessing himself a lot. I don't think he liked fat people. (laughs) You hardly ever saw any fat comics on there. On Carson? Then I did it. And then there were fat comics. Listen, I I was talking about butter. (laughs) Right. You know, you know, my jokes were not the type of jokes that probably everybody was doing. I, I don't think I, I never felt like I was competing with right, other right. comics. I thought I was just doing my thing, which is great. When you said you had like eight Tonight Show sets ready. Yeah. What, is that because you were trying different sets out on Jim McCauley? No, I said years? I'm going to do all these sets on the Tonight Show. OK. And I did six, I think, the first year. Wow. Wow. No, I'm prepared. I've always believed. I always try to tell comics, you can't be too prepared to become famous. Yeah, because when you get the opportunity, you have to have the material to back it up. I think a lot of people with writing, writing. too, yeah. you think, oh, I'm, I'll, I'll wait until I get asked to do this and then I'm going to write something great. But you can't wait for that. I always say, like, what are you doing? What's your material all about? Right. What are you thinking? Why are you doing this? Well, where is it coming from? And does it mean anything to you? Because if it doesn't mean anything to you, it's not going to mean anything to me. Right. You know, but it took me a long time to figure that those words out. That's a big lesson to learn, I think, especially just starting out. You're just like being able to get up on stage and do it is a big learning curve. Yeah. A lot of times you're doing an impression of your idol. Right. On some level. Right. Or the people right. who influenced you. Right. Which can take you down the wrong road mm-hmm. because you might not have any of the instincts that your idol has. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah. You know, you, you could see in comics who who they were influenced by. You know, I could anyways. And I always say, just get down into your stuff because mm-hmm. it's a bottomless pit. It, you can just it, keep pulling stuff up from there. Yeah, it's like therapy. I, I, <laughs> yeah. I've seen comics. Exactly, Jess. <laughs> I've seen comics get influenced by other super strong comics who are working at the same club over a long period of time. Like yeah, you come absolutely. back a few months later and like, oh my gosh, they're starting to kind of imitate subconsciously or consciously. You know? And sometimes they become famous. <laughs> I won't point them out. No, but they no, become. But you, you know, you can. There's two yeah. or three you can point out. Yeah. You know who Carlin influenced, who yep. Dennis Miller influenced, yep. who mm-hmm. you know uh, Conan, who Johnny. You know all these people who you see a lot. People will try to influence, you know. Bill Hicks was a comedian I saw a lot. And he moved to New York for a few years. Six months after he was there, half the comics were picking up little subtle markers of his. Hicks, Hicks. Right. Uh, yeah. And I, I think a lot of it was subconscious because he was so uh, kind of overpowering in a way in terms of. 
I yeah, I don't think comics pick it up on purpose. Exactly. I, I don't think I don't think, you know, because I have found myself going, that sounds like someone else's bit. And you just because mm-hmm. your ego will just say, just do it. Right. Doesn't matter whose it is. Your ego will definitely say that to you. Because you think you've invented it because you're, you know, comics are egomaniacal. (laughs) Right, right, right. Aren't they? I mean, I don't know a comic who's not egomaniacal. Yeah, they're all very self-absorbed in a way. Yeah. But I, I think so. Like, uh, especially I'm like absorbent. A- <laughs> <And> absorbent. <laughs> I know. I Extra just wanted strength. to make. Yeah, like I just feel like I. Right. That's <laughs> but uh, like on our show in the writers' room, a lot of times, sometimes writers will be like, "Oh, you know what? This idea came to me too quickly." It just kind of came like a lightning bolt. It, they almost got suspicious that, oh, did right. I think of this on my own? But sometimes it is just that that's, yes. that was the idea just, that no one had said yet. Yeah. But yeah. that was the one. Yep. Well, writing room is almost uh, just a big like cloud of intoxication. Uh, <laughs> you know, that people have to get out of to get some catch their breath. Right. And find a, kind of like a touchstone. They need a touchstone to get, Jesus, I had to get out of there. I was, <laughs> I was, I was really, I was becoming so insecure, <laughs> you know. I had to pretend I had to go to the bathroom. Did, right. I, I know you created some shows. Did you spend time a lot in the writer's room or, or were you kind of away from that? In Life with Louie, yeah. I would come in and say, what about this? Uh-huh. Louis's dad is a prick. <laughs> uh, no, but Louis and his dad don't get along because of this, or Louis's mom does this, or uh, Louis's grandma died, and he was supposed to write her a thank you note for a sweater, and she died before, and he doesn't know where to send the note. Right. <laughs> so then they would go with that. And then I remember I was always in the bathtub reading the scripts they would do. I don't know why I ended up there, but I ended up in the bathtub. <laughs> That's a nice reading. ritual. Yeah, there was something I love a bathtub. You're either a I bath person that. or you're not, yeah. you know. Yeah. That's tough when so, you're absorbent, but uh <laughs> Yeah. So I would do that and then I would call someone during it. This is wrong. This is right. This is wrong. This is right. In the nicest way, you got to realize I wasn't, you know, I was just saying, what about this and add this and that. Mm-hmm. I'm really good. That's my best strength is add-ons. Mm-hmm. Like I've tried to write scripts, but, you know, I was never a very good student and the computer is, you know, like elusive to me and I could write it and then go, where It's is hard to use in the bathtub. Uh, yeah. <laughs> That's true. Like I wrote my last book in my memo section. Oh, <laughs> that's impressive. You know, Love the flexibility of working in all sorts of places. Well, working on the go seamlessly requires a strong network like T-Mobile. We have America's largest 5G network. So whether you're on a video call at the park or uploading large files at a coffee shop, we have the 5G speed you need. Whatever takes you on the go, T-Mobile's got you covered. Find out more at T-Mobile.com slash network today. Coverage not available in some areas. See 5G device coverage and access details at T-Mobile.com. How did you used to come up with material when you were starting out in stand-up? Would you I, take a note? I would just did fat jokes. I did these, yeah, <laughs> like I had a little... 
pad, you know, or something, probably just, yeah, yeah like a pad. And I'd write Fat Olympics, <laughs> right? I'd write butter. I'd write dad, gun. <laughs> I always did fat jokes. And then one day a guy was doing, uh, was there with his father in the front row. And I always talked to the crowd. I always would work the crowd. And I go, hey, look, is that your dad? He goes, yeah. He goes, it looks like you guys get along. He goes, yeah, we really do. I go, ah, not my dad. Although he never hit us. He just carried a gun. And then they laughed. And I go, oh, they laughed at that. I go, he never shot us. He just go. <laughs> and um, <laughs> that resonated a different laugh than I can't stay long. I'm in between meals. <laughs> so... Even though that one covered the whole gambit, I can't stay long, I'm in between meals. Right. That covered a whole gambit of the audience. The other one, that was a self-depreciating joke, but the father joke, or my mom loved butter, you know, first words out of her mouth at the restaurant. Could we get some extra butter? <laughs> and the maitre d' would go, well, let us seat your party first. <laughs> right? So... so that was a difference in jokes, in response. Fat joke, I knew what response I was going to get. And it was strong. It mm -hmm. was killer. Mm -hmm. Don't get me wrong. But the other jokes, the Reservoir, they became Life with Louie. Mm -hmm. They became my books. Mm -hmm. They became the pilots I made. They became Christine Baskets. Mm -hmm. That yeah. well, that well has served me well. Yes, it's a deeper, yeah. it's yeah. deeper. And so it probably yeah, because, more relatable for everybody. Yeah. Yeah. Like I didn't know other people had screwed up families when I, you know, right. You don't right. grow up knowing that how screwed up someone's families are. You don't really see it. Yeah. Everybody people puts on this white thing. people are good at hiding. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Well, they put on the outside family yeah. face. And you grew like, up in Minnesota, right? right? Where yeah. I, I imagine I it's. Did. It's even more, possibly more extreme. The not, don't talk about it. I'm How long have you lived in Las Vegas? I guess now 13, coming up on 13 years. Oh, I had wow. a show. I had shows here for like 10 years on the Strip-ish. Oh, wow. And one downtown and one at the Pal and six years at the Catch a Rising Star showroom in the, mm -hmm. in the Excalibur. So. Oh, wow. What was okay. what is that like? Do how how many shows a week would you have to do? Five or six. Okay, but you know it's just like what you do. Uh, yeah, it's the same thing. It's a very <laughs> similar thing. If you're working in a writer's room and you're doing a show, right? There's right. a you know like okay, well, it's like if you were doing the finished product every night, you're going to shoot a show, right? The only thing is that there is an audience there. For me, the same. Uh, there are no cameras. That's the only difference. Right. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So, and it, you know, it wears on you. Like, you know, it's a Tuesday night. Yeah. Because Tuesday nights, actually, Mondays and Tuesdays were like my favorite nights because somehow they were the, the brighter crowds. Oh, Wednesday, yeah. Wednesday was good. Thursday, real conservative group of people. I don't know who they were, but very conservative. <laughs> Always yeah. there for yeah. an uh, NRA yeah. convention. Or Friday something. nightmare. You know Fridays. Yes, Fridays. <laughs> Everyone's Let's go see a show down. after we worked all week. Yep. And Let's we get drunk. At and, five. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And then Saturday, easy money. 
Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, because they're all call. drunk. And early no, Saturday. They're all, no, they're your biggest, you know, they're like, they are not going to be denied a good time. Right. They're in a good mood. So they're with you. They're with you. Yes. Yeah, they're with you. They're, they're Saturdays, they're, they worked all week to go out Saturday night, and they're rooting for yeah. you. Yeah. So it does wear on you because you have to make, you know, like I just try to do new stuff all the time. Mm-hmm. I just said, you got to do new stuff or else you're just going to be the worst comedian in the world. Right. That's hard, yeah. though. Then I, you're just I an actor. <laughs> yeah. That, that, that's a big discipline to be, you know, to go, okay, I'm not going to coast. And I, I'm yeah. guessing Vegas is a hard place, maybe. You tell me. I have no idea to try out new material. Certainly not on the Wednesday crowds. I mean, I used to do it on the Tonight Show. So if it's, oh, wow. yeah. <laughs> right. I used to say you have, to, I tell every, I go, why aren't you trying out? Right. They go, I want to do some new stuff, but I want to do it on an open mic. I go, no, do it on your most important show. <laughs> Find out if it's really in there. They're, they'll be with you on it mm-hmm. and just say, hey, I wanted to try this new stuff and it doesn't work. Go, well, I'll never do that again. <laughs> you know, the audience is for you. And they want to be a part of your process, believe it or not. Right. When Conan screws up, that could be even better than anything's expected. Yes. It usually is. <laughs> yeah. And that's and the, so, and yeah. it's so real. Right. Mm-hmm. And if you ad lib your way out of it, yes, it's usually a bigger laugh than what you were going to do anyway. And it's much more memorable. I'm working on doing an album, Christine Baskett's album. Oh, that's a oh great idea. God. Yeah. On the A side is Christine. On the B side is me. Oh, oh I love that. Because I've been watching Baskett's again on Hulu because I never watched it while I was making it. There's right. something oh, really? about not really because that can just I didn't want to get in my head. You would about get in your head. Yeah. Oh, yeah. you know. You know, I'm pleasantly surprised and horrified <laughs> at the same time because that's just the human nature of a comic, don't you think? Right? Yeah, sure. Why did I let them shoot like that? <laughs> they you why they use that take? I did three other yeah. better takes. Yeah. Yeah. That's well, tell- Jonathan, you know, he was just the greatest guy to work with. Yeah. Because he just oh, yeah. he's just pure love. Did they approach you about playing Christine or was that kind of your idea? Oh, no. I, I got a call from Louis uh, CK and he said, uh, Louis, I go, hi, Louis. <laughs> and because uh, you hardly ever hear Louis as a name right. calling you. Yeah. And he goes, I'm doing a sitcom with Zach Alphanakis. I wonder if you'd play a character for us. I go, yeah. And he goes, we want you to play his mother. I go, yes. <laughs> I knew right away that would, this was like a perfect, this was something bigger than like, I go, this is good when comics who are really popular from another era lean on you to do something. This is big. (laughs) You know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. Like this is big here. People who they would not necessarily. It means you're in my wheelhouse. Yeah. they, They wouldn't be in my wheelhouse, but I bring them something that they don't have, you know, and yeah. that they want to remember or that. But it worked out perfect, obviously. But I remember going to Silmar at 530 in the morning. It was all hush hush because nobody knew that I was playing the mom. Oh, wow. And um, oh, that's I, great. Pick, I picked out the clothes that I thought my mom and sister would wear. The wig was too small, so they had to cut it. And I had one scene and it was all with all the Costco stuff yeah. with Mar- Martha mm. and Zach. And that was it. And I just went to Jonathan right before we shot it. And I go, hey, I'm not going to change my voice. 
I'm not going to cartoon this up. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to change who I am to play this character. Right. Then we shot this scene and I had this thing where I had to, I tried to drink down a whole thing of Kirkland. <laughs> right. That those bottles of things. they yeah. <laughs> And I said, Oh my God, I'm not going to make it. And I did a spit take. I knew instinctively to save that. I go, oh, that was, that hit the spot or that was refreshing, something right. like that. Yeah. It was so good. It was really true to the character. And then I just talked <laughs> kind of like my mom would talk about Kirkland products and mm-hmm. how much my son Chip disappointed me. And <laughs> you know how parents shame their yeah, of kids in front of their friends? Yes. Yeah. And then he went to school in France clown school in France. <laughs> you know how much that costs? I had to pay in euros, so I'm not sure. But <laughs> there was a lot of euros, a lot of euros in that number. And I just had fun. And Jonathan was so great to us. And what? was there a lot of improvising? Laugh. Yeah, you can. Yes, yeah. there was tons of it. You're I opened it. my heart wide as could be yeah. and dismissed Louis Anderson as quickly as possible. Uh-huh. I said, you got to get out of here. There can't be, <laughs> this cannot be any kind of corny silly it has to be real right this has to be as real as you've ever been and this is not a man you know people say you're a man playing a woman i go i'm a woman right i'm not a man playing a woman i know that sounds weird i told people to call me christine Uh not louis i just wanted to be i just i knew i was doing something special at least for me right Mm -hmm. you're digging deep i dug so deep that you know this is how the book was started I came home one day from the set, still emotional for him. Um, and I said, oh, was my mom ever as happy as Christine? You know? Mm-hmm. And I started writing her uh, this letter, and which became, you know, the essence of the book. But two days later, somehow somebody sent a photo of my mom or posted it from the family of her as a young girl. She's like a teenager, early twenties uh-huh. on my, it's on my Instagram and Christine is on the other side. And my mom was so happy. Uh-huh. So I knew that at some point she was really happy. Yeah. It was just such a wow. weird thing. And, and, and probably, you know, I am always looking for signs and everything. Sure. It was probably like having yeah. dialogue with her doing this part, right? Where you kind mm-hmm. of felt yes. like you were having an ongoing, it's almost a way to, to re- still stay connected to her and have this ongoing relationship in a way. And I think, you know, what you're saying is, and as soon as I opened that question up, was my mom ever as happy as me? It opened up a reservoir of questions I had for my mom. Right. And that changed everything. In fact, my book, Hey Mom, which is a book that I think people sometimes give to their mom. I always tell them, you should write your letter to your mom when you give them that book or just write a letter to your mom and send it or put it in a drawer, whatever you Mm -hmm. want. But get that letter out. Hmm. Everybody's got a letter to their mom or not or even right. if she's not but yes why she's still alive because you could become friends with your mom i always tell people if you could become friends with your mom which i wish i would have done more mm-hmm. i was friends with her but not like i should have been i wish i could have got by my stupidness 
Is that a word? But it's just no, anyway. <laughs> sure. My, it's not, it's just like stubborn, stupid, you know, stupidness. Right. And if I could have got through that, what would I have discovered? And could we have become friends? And could both of our lives been completely enriched right. from that experience? Now, that all sounds silly and simple and everything, but it's really important. If this pandemic has taught us one thing, it's what's important, yeah, the important yeah. stuff. Yes, it's good to wash your clothes and, and to do the dishes and be nice to yourself and all that. But wait a minute. What are the things you always wanted to do? So I said to myself, I'm going to do that album. I'm going to learn how to sing a little. I'm going to do the stuff that I want to do. I'm going to learn how to paint. I started painting once and I'm going to go back to that. We rob ourselves from the TV and from the phone and, you know, from the podcast, we rob ourselves. <laughs> but it's true, we do. We should yeah. be painting no, right now. No, yeah. But podcasts have given me so much joy and comfort during this, mm-hmm. yeah. this, this pandemic that... Uh, no, but I think you're but, right that it I, it's really cleared the dead weight off of my consciousness because there was a yeah. lot of stuff that was on my to-do list that just immediately seemed so frivolous. It was like, <laughs> yeah. I, I don't have to get this stuff done. We're living out a pathology that was set a long time ago. Mm-hmm. And this gives us this pandemic, I think. You know, last night was a good example. I said, you are the luckiest guy in the world and you got to stop worrying about anything and you got to reach out to people who you love and who you care about, but you're mad at. Mm-hmm. And so I've done that for the most part. And that was a really, really big thing for me. I've been working on it, but wow. it's a really big, last night I called a few people and just said, Hey, I'm really sorry. I'm such a jerk sometimes. That's and they go and sometimes they they, yeah yeah they said what are you talking about right. <laughs> a couple of them right. I go well I thought I was it was oh, all in your uh, head yeah right, right. no I don't think it was but you that's know that's a, wrong a number that's a common yeah that's a common response isn't it sure where yeah. you they let you off the hook but they shouldn't I didn't want to get let off the hook I wanted to say this is what I think I did right and I'm sorry I did that. Mm-hmm. And it's part of my nature. My dad was a prick and I can be a prick sometimes. Right. I come from a long you know? line of pricks. Yes. <laughs> it's hard though, because it doesn't mean that I'm going to be their friend anymore right. than I was. So it doesn't mean that that's going to blossom because comics, you know, we're all people in show business are self-centered from what I can tell. Comics are bad. Not, comics are bad. Comics are the Narcissists worst. in the way that it, it doesn't mean that you think you're great. It means that you're Oh, we just, think we're great. Uh, <laughs> no, but I no, get but what you mean. Some people hate themselves too, but they're right. still- Oh, yeah. A lot of yeah. self-loathing. Yeah. The self-loathing, I try to get out of the way right. uh, near bedtime so I can't sleep. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> and the uh, self-loathing is is tied in with the worrying and it all, all that keeps you from being- like you're saying, be present in the moment and realize, like you're saying, how lucky you are and all the great things that you tend to go, oh, well, that doesn't count. None of that counts. And it does. So you brought up something. So self-loathing, like I wish I would have been nicer to my mom in certain mm-hmm. circumstances. Mm-hmm. I couldn't. I didn't have what it took or didn't want to. And I got to own that. So self-loathing, you got to own. It doesn't, it's not real. It's just a time in your life when you made stupid decisions or made mistakes or hurt somebody or did something. You've got to clear that slate. You know, resentment Mm -hmm. and all those kind of things, they weigh so much, like a ton. Mm -hmm. 
you know, resentment that will eat its own container. Ooh, that that, that was really, that, yes, that's bad yeah. acid. But you can take this thing that you did or I wasn't nice to my mom. Okay, here it is. I'm sorry, mom. I just was stupid. I was inconsiderate. And it is no reflection about how much you mean to me. I love you. I hope you can forgive me. Done. I mean, done in some sense, mm-hmm. but it's hard to do that. It's silly. I'm talking to a, right. a, a decaf cappuccino. I can't even get a real <laughs> extra, cappuccino because I won't go. Yeah. Because you're afraid. I won't it. sleep. Yeah. yeah. I guess I won't sleep. Uh, and then that's simplifying it. Right. I don't mean to simplify it, but I really want to make a point. The torture that we do for ourselves has to be undone. Yeah. We we're actually uh, we have to wrap up with you, Louis. I yeah, think this I have to deal with loss again. <laughs> oh, no. You know, losses are. Well, you big have your deal. coffee cup. I do. <laughs> That's right. I, I, but I've had a really wonderful time. Uh, this is yeah. Great. Thank Good you for being that. so yeah. open with us. Yes, it's been a really yeah. great conversation. So my piece of advice is that you're perfect. Everyone's perfect. Okay. It's who they are. Just try to, you know, not torture yourself about the things that you'd like to change. It's a waste of and time. And why do you want to change them? Right. Mm-hmm. They, they must be okay. All right. Great. Love you guys. Okay. Thank you. I'm leaving now. Bye. Bye. So that was Louis Anderson. You can see him on this season of Baskets and Search Party. Yeah, you can see him on Search Party, currently streaming on HBO Max. You know what else is streaming on HBO Max? Conan Without Borders. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Just thought I'd throw that in there. Hey, we have a fan question. It says, hi, Mike and Jesse. I would really like to know about Carl Oldie Olson and how he became a reoccurring character on Late Night. Uh, love Ray. Thank you, Ray. Carl Oldie Olson, he would appear in sketches, I, I guess, the mid 90s. His nickname kind of tells it all. He was. Really <laughs> was old. he old? <laughs> oh, boy. One of the original writers on the show, Michael Gordon, I think they were doing a sketch. It was a little league team, like a kids' little league team versus a senior citizens' little league team. It might have been during the Major League Baseball strike, kind of filling the void, I think. And, um, Michael Gordon auditioned a lot of senior citizen actors mm-hmm. to play baseball. And he once he showed me his note, he had notes, meticulous notes uh, next to all of them. And can be tricky with senior actors. Something, very you know, tricky. Some of them. Seniors and kids. Oh, yes. <laughs> and animals. And, and animals. He, uh, he had notes like, you know, too hammy, too big, mm-hmm. or, you know, too quiet. And next, he showed me his note next to Carl Oldiels, and it just was like really, really old. <laughs> so he was cast immediately. And how old do you think he was? I, you know what? I, 68. I, no. <laughs> I think it was sort of like that, but he looked much, much older and he had yes. long white hair and he had a long white beard. So he, Looked like he was just beamed in. Yeah, like Gandalf. Some, yes, he was kind of Gandalf's more emaciated uh, older, <laughs> older brother. We started doing Halloween big sketches where he'd play like a vampire. And then another time he played Frankenstein. And they were these giant elaborate sketches built yeah. in. But he had background as a Shakespearean actor, which we oh, didn't even great. know. Yeah, we, we learned. Oh, so he was probably really slumming it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And we were, we thought we were doing this guy a favor, you know, like, yeah. hey, we're putting you on a show at 1 a.m. He was also in Waterworld. 
And, you know, who's going to know if I'm lying? No one's seen that. <laughs> so you just have to accept that he was above yes. Kevin Costner. Don't look it up. Wow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Back then, people were obsessed with Carl Dielson. He was kind of one of the big... Yeah, recurring, recurring players. Yeah. And I, yeah. I love when a writer will fixate on an actor like that and it yes. becomes their muse almost. Yes, yes, yes. Anyway, that's our show for the week. That's our show. But we'll be back next week with more great content. <laughs> <laughs> is, that, is that vague enough? Uh, you can email us inside Pod at gmail.com. Or you can leave a voicemail at 323-209-5303. Or you can just and, call and breathe heavily. Yes. For a few minutes. So stay safe out there. Yes. Bye. We like you. Inside Conan, an important Hollywood podcast, is hosted by Mike Sweeney and me, Jesse Gaskell. Produced by Jen Samples. Engineered and mixed by Will Becton. Supervising producers are Kevin Bartelt and Aaron Blayart. Executive produced by Adam Sachs and Jeff Ross at Team Coco. And Colin Anderson and Chris Bannon at Earwolf. Thanks to Jimmy Vivino for our theme music and interstitials. You can rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts. And of course, please subscribe and tell a friend to listen to Inside Conan on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, or whatever platform you like best. This has been a Team Coco production in association with Earwolf. Love the flexibility of working in all sorts of places? Well, working on the go seamlessly requires a strong network like T-Mobile. We have America's largest 5G network, so whether you're on a video call at the park or uploading large files at a coffee shop, we have the 5G speed you need. Whatever takes you on the go, T-Mobile's got you covered. Find out more at T-Mobile.com slash network today. Coverage not available in some areas. See 5G device coverage and access details at T-Mobile.com. 